0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. We're in 1 Peter, we're in chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 4-10. through Uh, Follow along with me. Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone now you are god's people once you had not received mercy and now you have received mercy so this is the word of god for the people of god this morning would you join me in prayer father Father, I read this, these words, and uh, so much meaning. There's so many messages that each of us um, hear throughout the week that are not helpful. So Father, I pray that you would come by the power of your Spirit. I pray, God, that you would preach a message this morning. God, that you would do a work of restoration in each of us. Lord, there are, I know there are people in this room today who are hiding behind masks because of the the voices of Satan, sin, and death that have been chasing them their entire life. So, God, I pray, God, that you would come and break through those barriers and that you would do a work of restoration. A work of mercy I trust you to do what I am not able to do but I, even now I, I think of how really deeply unqualified I actually am to preach this this message and Father I, I sense the immense weight and responsibility and Father I ask that you would do a cleansing work in me now in the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth To make them acceptable to you, helpful to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You you may be seated. I'll just just tell you now, i lay my cards on the table. Um, um, When I studied this uh, this passage this week, I have to be honest with you, I I studied this passage in tears. So uh, it it doesn't surprise me that I stand in front of you in tears. Um, I want you to think about. I want you to think about something special, okay? Uh, something, something that you own that is special to you. Or, or, or someone someone that is special to you. Put, put, put that in your mind, right? Maybe something that, uh, that, that was given to you, something that was handed down to you, uh, made for you by someone that is special to you. Maybe this special thing that you're thinking about, maybe maybe it resembles a a really special experience or a very special memory in your life. Reminds you of a special season, reminds you of a special memory, whatever it is that you're thinking about. See, most people take pictures, right? I'm sure that if we all took out our phones or our devices right now, you could scroll through hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures of people or events or things that you would say, that's special to me and that's why I took a picture, right? Uh, Christy and I uh, just recently uh, had our family pictures taken. We needed to update them. It had been a long time since we did it, and so... All of our family were together just shortly after Christmas, so we got our pictures taken. Had all of our kiddos, had our son-in-laws. I still haven't figured out how you say that, if it's supposed to be sons-in-law or sons-in-laws or son-in-laws. I don't know where Karen's at. Karen would probably correct me because she's a teacher, and Taylor would too, but Taylor's not in here. So, however that's supposed to be said. Had our grandson. He even had a family pet in the pictures, okay? Um... And if you've ever been to our home, uh, you walk into our living room and you would see on our living room wall pictures of our family that are arranged on a family tree that my wife labored hard to paint by hand with a small paintbrush on that wall. Something that she caught the vision for and developed. The reason that we've done this is because um, our family obviously is full of people that are special to us, right? And every person in that picture, on that family tree, holds a special memory in, in our hearts. And and truth be told, if you took long enough to ask us some questions, um, and if you, if you like got into our lives a little bit, um, you'd hear all sorts of stories that would probably make your head spin, really, <laughs> i mean we're italian number one um, and we're just crazy number two <laughs> and we're large we're a large family you know there's some irony in all this though as you think about it there's some irony in all of this in, in the fact that that every one of us knows that you and i we can put those pictures on our social media feeds we can put those pictures on our walls, to communicate this kind of this special place that we have in a family, right? To communicate the special people that we have in our lives. We can do all of that and then kind of hide behind a facade where deep down inside we, we instinctively feel a deep sense of brokenness loneliness unworthiness disconnection right you ever you ever get with somebody who you can sit with them for 3 hours and all they do is talk about themselves for 3 hours i like did never ask you an inquisitive question about you or your life that that's that's a that's an that's a an inner thing that has become an exterior thing and it's meant to shield people from seeing the real you deep down inside. Right? And we do this in all sorts of ways. We do this in the cultures we become part of. We do this in the clubs we become part of. We do this in the, in the clothes that we wear. We do this in the kinds of churches we go to. We, we build these little walls around ourselves. And really it's meant to push a facade of somebody that we want to project about ourselves. And it's based on something broken, really broken deep down inside, right? It's that sense that I'm really, actually feel disconnected. I actually feel really broken. I actually feel really, really lonely deep down inside, right? My my point in all this, when we talk about the irony of the things and the people that are special to us and then what actually goes on deep down inside when you get past all the BS of the pictures and the Facebook posts. And you get down to what's real inside, who makes you who you are, right? When you get to that, you can quickly find out that each of us walks through this life feeling this at some level. I don't feel special. You don't feel special. Oftentimes. We don't like that feeling. We don't like to admit that because it makes us look weak. and you think about it this way um, you know ever since the garden of eden uh, humans humans have lived on this earth separated separated from the special perfect presence of god right like we we, we live in this world like people who don't have a special family we've been exiled from that special perfect place don't have a special home One scholar, as I was studying this, said this is the reason that men build big things today. Build big ministries, build big houses, build big clubs, big golfing clubs, motorcycle clubs, whatever it may be. Build big things because there is something deep down inside of us that says you're not special, you don't belong, and you need something to make you feel that way. Now don't get me wrong. There's also good mission involved in all those things. I stand in front of you as a church planter who planned this church starting out in my living room with four other people who are no longer with us. a truth be told, there's more people that have come through the doors of this church building or family and walked right out the other side than there are sitting in this room. Those of you that have been with us for a long time, you know that. You know the pain and the hurt of that too. That's what we live with. We live, if, if truth be told, if we took a real good hard look at ourselves and we look in that mirror we would say, you know, this is the ugliness deep down inside of me. And really, this is where the message of this text, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10, that we just read, is where the message of this text is finally, tightly honed in on. I mean, Peter's original audience, you Jump across the river, get out of your American mindset for a minute, and jump into what was going on there for 1 Peter in the church. His, His original audience, they were exiled from Jerusalem. Do you know what that means? It means their special place where they worship, their special place that held them together as a family, the thing that made them, in their minds, the special possessions of God, the creator of heaven and earth. They were booted out of there couldn't live there in our american context it's like this country that we apparently started so that we could worship god and have freedom we just got booted out of there and we're in a completely different land that's the feeling It'd be very easy at that point to say man i think maybe god's left me alone i'm not special anymore right i must have done something wrong that's where peter's audience is. They're scattered across the known world. they're pushed out of the special centers of the community. They have zero influence whatsoever. They're relegated to the sidelines. They're despised by society. And, and the message that I think Peter's audience has been, uh, been ringing in their ears for a long time is you are no longer special. You're not. You're unloved? You're unwanted, you're cast aside, you're no good. And I think, I think with that kind of a message ringing in their ears, what Peter does, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who knows all things about the hearts of men, steps in and preaches a message that is meant to combat that broken thing deep down inside of us, right? It's meant to reveal and unveil and uncover and cut and wound, and then on the other side, Restore and mend and heal. Like it's a crazy, crazy doctoral work that the Holy Spirit does in this message, in my opinion. What Peter basically says in this text, if you want like the big idea, he basically says, "Hey, you guys are a special people. You are being built on the foundation of a very special person. You've been engraved. I love that word, you've been engraved with a special message. This passage literally is all about special people. A one singular special person and a special message. Another way to say it is to say it this way, the church literally is a special home that has been built with human stones. Jesus really is the one who is the special cornerstone, right? The cornerstone who keeps the home together and at the same time causes outsiders to stumble and fall. And then the last thing Peter basically says is, hey, God's family has been called out of the darkness to proclaim the message of the gospel. That's the special message that we are called to proclaim. It's been engraved on our lives if you are a believer. If you're with us and you're not a believer, then it's the job of the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place where you become a believer, and that message then gets engraved on your hearts, and you belong to Him from this point forward. You are special simply because your Savior is special. Now you're not special um, based on anything you did. You're you're special based upon the special work of a special Savior. Right? That's where our identity flows from. problem is we get it backwards. We try to build things, try to make things, try to do things, try to prove things. Think about this fact that you are a special people. Think about this. Like, I can, I can envision Peter sitting at his desk, okay? If you can close your eyes and envision this, you may do so. Please do so. I can envision Peter sitting at his desk, right? He's contemplating how to write what he wants to say to the churches that are full of the people that he loves. I can see see the agony on his face as he thinks about these people that he loves and, and how much they feel like they have been tossed aside. They have been scattered around like worthless pieces of trash. He's imagining this. He's praying his way through it. I can see him weeping big tears at his desk, praying, asking the Holy Spirit, please speak through me. Please give me the words to say that will bring comfort and healing to these souls that have been ravaged by Satan's sin and death. I can see him there. And then I see him beginning to write. And he begins to write as though he's writing to one of my very own kids. That's the emotional sense in the language. He says, hey, as you you come to him, to Jesus, who is a living stone, that has been rejected by men, many in the world around us. Some of you seen in this room have already rejected him. It breaks my heart to know that. You put on a good face on Sundays, but you know, You don't belong to him. You've never surrendered your life. You're pretending. But in the sight of God, who is the maker of heaven and earth, Jesus himself, he starts here, is chosen and precious. I love that word. It shows up twice in the text. Something gets repeated, it means you should pay attention. Especially when it's God speaking. Chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones, he says. Like living stones. Not, not dead, inanimate objects that are being used for somebody else's pleasure. Like so many of us do with the people around us. You're being built as a spiritual house. What does that mean? A spiritual house for God's presence. It's a spiritual house for God's presence to live in, to be, he says, a holy priesthood. What does that mean? A holy priesthood set apart as God's special people, chosen, set apart, set aside, not alone, for God's special working through you. To offer spiritual sacrifices, what does that mean? It means to live your lives in sacrificial worship. A kind of worship that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, he says. He moves on, he says, for it stands, or in other words, the Bible says, it stands in Scripture. The Bible says, behold, I, God, am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, Jesus, chosen, special. Here's this word again, precious. Chosen, special, and precious. What does that mean? Priceless is what it means. Right? There was a message that I preached years ago called Priceless. I think I've preached it three or four times now because of the impact of the message. And it wasn't one that I knew at the time was going to have that kind of an impact. If you never heard it, you should go find it. It's from the Ephesians series. I'll give you that much. A word pops up here. Special, precious, priceless. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Why? Why will you not be put to shame if you have believed in Jesus? Here's the reason why. Because shame and guilt have a place where they go to die. You know where that's at? That's at the cross and the empty tomb. When Jesus died on that cross and when he rose up out of that grave, all the shame and the guilt that you or I may ever face go there and they die and they stay dead, and they don't come back to life, because they're not my savior and they're not yours. You don't have to walk under that shame, that guilt that you feel, from the words that you keep hearing in your mind, the words of Satan, sin and death, that you're worthless, that nobody cares. He wraps up these first few verses. Can you, can you see Peter sitting at his desk now as he's writing these words? As he's thinking about the people that he loves, that he says, Hey, you, you, you are special. I want you to know this, right? <sighs> Last few things he says in this first part. He says, Hey, so this is the honor. <laughs> the honor is for you who believe. Oh, easy to skip over words, isn't it? You just read these words and you go, ah, okay, whatever, I'm on to the next thing I need to do. You post some stuff on social media, make a phone call to that person. No, stop. Think about the words for a minute. It's the word of God, right? So the honor is for, for you who believe. What does that mean? Honor. This means special seat of attention. That means there is a special seat of attention that's been designed specifically for you, based upon the special seat of attention that your Savior sits in. Because it's from that seated place in heaven where Jesus is that your identity flows. That's who you are. Your Father looks at you from heaven. If you trusted in Jesus, he doesn't look at you like, shame on you. You did bad. Shame on you. You are bad. That's, that's not the Father's view of you. The Father's view of you is through His Son, Jesus, who is perfect. And He looks at you and He says, Hey, the honor is for you. You have a special seat. So when I think about Peter laboring over this letter, um, when he's basically saying, Hey, the church is a special home, right? Oh, it pisses me off when I hear people bag on the church. God, it makes me mad. And I stand there and I take it sometimes. Because here's what I know those who bag on the bride of Jesus have got something coming. That's his bride. You don't bag on the bride and then pretend like you're part of it, right? How oh, the church is a special home. It's built with special human stones. I think about Peter. I think about him laboring over this letter. Like I would labor over a letter to one of my kids. I notice words. I notice words that are meant to speak life, words that are meant to give comfort to people who feel like they aren't special. Maybe they feel like they're not special because of some deep, dark sin they've committed, right? Maybe they feel that way because, uh, because of some traumatic experience that you've faced in your life. Or maybe, maybe it's you and you feel this way. I'm not very special simply because there's this voice in my head, in my mind, when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, keeps telling me I'm not special. And what Peter wants to do, as I've already said, is he wants to combat the voice of those lies. And he wants to speak truth, life-giving truth that would set you free. And he's speaking this truth simply that the church is a special home built with special human stones. Those human stones who have trusted in the shed blood and the broken body and the empty tomb and the promised return of Jesus. You see, these kinds of human stones, they've been created by God chosen by God they are precious to God they've been purchased by God they've been set apart by God that's you and me all of this is about you and I if you trusted in Jesus you've been set apart for a special purpose of bringing attention to God so let me ask you have you been looking in the mirror lately looking at the woman or the man in the mirror when you get up in the morning and you're despising the reflection that you see how often have you done that lately You're looking in the mirror and you're looking at yourself and you're despising what God has called special. You get the irony in that, right? Mm -hmm. How often do you think about yourself, look at yourself and say, I'm really not that special. I really am not worth very much. I really just don't fit in. Like no one could ever love me if they knew the darkness that was inside of me. How many of you think that one? That's a common one for us. That's common for me. If you knew the darkness that was inside of me, you wouldn't love me anymore. You'd be done. That's what I have a tendency to believe. It's a lie. As if, as if God doesn't have the power to love me when I'm at my most unlovable? Or that he couldn't put somebody in my life who would love me the same way? If you trusted in Jesus... If you trust in Jesus today, then what happens is, is, is you become special in those moments because you become part of a church, become part of a family that's being built with human stones. Mm-hmm. Secondly, think about Jesus a little bit more. Let's dig into this a little further, right? As if everything I've already said isn't enough already, and we could not have just made three weeks of sermons out of this, Right? Think about your Savior. Your Savior is a special person, right? Jesus, and you're like, yeah, okay, Sunday school answer, thanks, PJ. Just a, you're a smart one, right? Jesus is special. Again, when I think about this, I think of Peter sitting there laboring over this letter. What I can see in my mind, is I can see crumpled up paper in the corner, right, as he writes furiously full of tears, and then he crumbles it up and he throws it aside. He's trying to get all of his words just right, right? Like his audience is never going to know, never going to see the pain and the agony and the hours spent by Pastor Peter as he writes this letter. Going to never see how many times he started over, found a better way to say what he wanted to say to them. You ever labored over a letter to a loved one? Ever, ever, ever wrote a long text message or email and then stopped and thought about it, prayed about it, rewrote it? See, Peter knows. Who think about this. Peter knows how hard this life is. He knows. Think about Peter. Peter remembers when he sat next to that warm fire on the night of Jesus' death. Peter remembers that. He remembers warming his hands from the cold night's air as his heart grew colder and colder and colder to the Savior who loved him enough to even warn him, to warn him of his impending sin. Right? That's that's what I think is in his mind as he's writing this. Peter knows where he's been, knows what he's done, He knows his own betrayal. I can see Peter's tears all over this piece of paper on his desk as he writes with that memory in his mind when he says this. He says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. Certain Peter remembers the night that he disobeyed the word when the word was in the flesh right in front of him. They disobey the word as they were destined to do. So the reality that Peter's getting across to us here is that Jesus himself, he is the special cornerstone who keeps the home together and causes outsiders to stumble. There is a passage. It's tattooed on my arm. Most of you know it because it's tattooed right next to my mission statement for my life and the mission statement for our church, which is on the wall out there when you come in. It's Matthew 16:18, Right? Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. It's a promise, and it's a play on words because the real rock, the true rock, is not Peter the rock. It's Jesus the rock. Okay? That's the moral of the story. And it absolutely ticks me the heck off when I hear people take that passage and turn it into things that it's not. Like somehow this passage means that we're going to build some big fat political force to take over the world. Really? Seriously? Read your Bible, right? Drives me batty. It's a simple, easy passage to read. Peter, who was known as the rock. That's what his name meant. He's writing about stones. He's writing about rocks. Here's the reality about Peter. I don't think Peter wants anybody to stumble and fall away like he did on the night of his Savior's death. Right? You feel my intensity sometimes. You can see it on my face, right? Why would I get so passionate when giving a warning as a pastor? Why? Why? Because I care, right? Peter does not want anyone to stumble and fall away and believe falsehood. He doesn't want anybody to fall away like he did on the night of our Savior's death. I think Peter remembers the warning he got that night. He remembers the flippant attitude he had towards that warning. He knows now the warnings are meant to keep us walking straight. They're meant to keep us walking straight ahead without stumbling in the darkness. Ever get up in the middle of the night, forget you left something in the middle of the floor, stumble your foot on it, fall, let out an f-bomb or something close to that? I know most of you would never drop those words because you're good Baptist people, right? So just—I I see it on your faces. Some of you, the rest of you are like, "No, I get it." Yep. <laughs> Peter doesn't want us getting up in the middle of the night in the darkness. Doesn't want us living in the darkness. Wants to give a warning. How, how do we as Americans receive that warning? Doesn't want us to fall flat on our faces. Peter remembers the pain and the agony that he experienced when he looked into the eyes of his friend and his Savior, who would give his life away in such a horrific way for him, despite his own failures, despite his own rejection of Jesus. Peter knows that deep down inside. And here's the, the other irony of this passage. The other irony of this passage is that every one of us has rejected Jesus at some point or the other, most likely in the last 24 hours. If you're honest with yourself, right? If we're honest about our own failures and our brokenness, We have rejected Christ, most likely even in the last 24 hours, if not in the last 24 seconds. Just like Peter. (coughs) The reality here is that Jesus, and Jesus is not just a stumbling block for us when we disbelieve and disobey God. It's not just a stumbling block then. Jesus is also known, as Peter puts him, as the chief cornerstone. The job of a cornerstone is to hold the house together like superglue. I always like to say that the church is built out of human stones and it's held, held together by the mortar all the way through. And that mortar is the Holy Spirit. And the cornerstone is Jesus. The Spirit's job is to work that cornerstone of Jesus into all the other human stones in the building. I often say that the message of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, that is altogether the cornerstone and the mortar that holds the bricks in place. When, when, when all of the fury of Satan, sin, and death come against you, Like when you and I look in the mirror in the morning, all we can see is someone who is unlovable. Somebody who is unwanted. Somebody who is worthless. While at the same time, listening to the voices of Satan, sin, and death around us, telling us that we're not special. In those moments, what God would do is He would shout at you, from a cross and an empty tomb of His only begotten Son, Jesus. And He would say to you, Hey, you are special if you trusted in my work at that cross and in that empty tomb. Your Savior is special because He is the cornerstone that then holds all of that together. And if you're walking in opposition to Jesus today, He will make you fall down flat on your face right now. I pray that he does because if you never fall down flat on your face then the place you're headed to is horrifying. How's the work of Jesus? The power of the Spirit. It's to call people out of darkness and into the light. But don't play games with your life. right? Because Jesus didn't play games when he crawled up on that cross. Think about this special message. You've been engraved with a special message. You've ever been given a special uh, message to give to someone else. Um, This might connect with you a little bit. You ever had somebody give you a special message, say, hey, pass this on, forward this on? A spouse or a friend say, Hey, don't forget I'm saying this to you. I need you to make sure you say this to so and so. Spouse says, Hey, tell the kids this when they go home from school. Your friend says, Hey, don't don't forget this. What I'm about to tell you, don't forget this is really vitally important. I need you to listen to me. So I can see Peter once again. He's lost in thought. The tail end of this text, lost in thought, is asking the Holy Spirit, Father, please give me the words. Give me the words that I need to feed your sheep. Give me the words that I need to feed your sheep. You are the Master Shepherd. I just I need your words. They don't need to hear the words of Peter. They need to hear the words of Jesus. Please give me the words. You know, like like every disciple of Jesus, every person who calls himself a Christian, P- Peter's been given a commission. All of us have a commission. And the commission is to go and to share this life-saving message that has been engraved upon our lives, right? I once heard a preacher say, hey, if you come to Jesus today and you start following him, and, uh, and you think that, that this message is just all about you to get saved from the fiery pits of hell and you don't have to do anything else with your life, I've got a 45 behind the pulpit here, and I'll just get you out of here quick. Mm-hmm. Like, that's heavy. Like, whoa, you do not hear that stuff in pulpits today. This point is, you think this is just for you? Then let's get you off the earth and get you where you think you're going, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it harkens back to Moses being like, hey, wh- why, are you, why are you worshiping that false idol? Come here a minute. Let's grind this thing up in some gold dust. Whoever drinks this, take a drink if you, if you did this thing. Oh, I see 10 of you drinking it. Hey, Levites, take them out. That's brutal. But let me ask you this. Like, when was the last time you thought about how brutal the cross is? Right? That's a brutal message. A brutal thing that our Savior did for us. And we play around with it flippantly, right? Like somehow it's just for us and nobody else. This is our own little personal experience. I can see Peter Again, he's got this memory in his mind. He's sitting at his desk. He's wrapping this text up. He's he's written and he's rewritten. And he's prayed through. He's cried over it. He's got a picture around the wall above his desk, and he takes a look up at it. That picture. That's a special picture that he has. <laughs> it's a picture of him and Jesus, and they're walking right by the lake, in the sand. You remember that day? When they were walking? You're like, yeah, there's many days when they were walking. No, there was one day they were walking. It was right after the resurrection. It was right after God had warned Peter of where he was headed. And then he rejected Jesus that night. And three days later, he came back to life. He left the tomb empty. He and Jesus, I think they had breakfast together. And then they're walking, and... And uh, gosh, sunny, and the wind is blowing, and the waves are crashing on the lake. Peter's pen now, as he looks at that picture, he's laid it down on the desk. Right, it's laying around on top of that tear-stained letter. He can't even hardly, he can't hardly write anymore. He remembers Jesus' words to him on that day, walking on the beach. Have you ever had this day, walking with Jesus in your walk now? He's walking next to his closest friend and Savior a few days after he betrayed him. He remembers how his heart was so filled with sorrow because of his betrayal. As Jesus speaks these words to him, it begins to fill and restore his heart. All the sorrow and the agony that he'd been feeling for the last couple days begins to get replaced with joy, Right? His best friend and his savior spoke these words over his soul. He says, "Hey, hey, I, I love you as a friend, Peter. Do you love me as a friend? Then love my sheep, feed my sheep, like a friend would do." Let me walk a little bit further. Hey, I, I love you as a brother, Peter. I really do. Peter, do you love me as a brother? love my sheep like a brother would then I can see Peter every time he answers him yeah yeah Lord I love you like a friend yeah you you know I love you like a brother The last one changes the word it's agape tattooed on my arm somewhere of course I love you agape I agape you I love you unconditionally Peter I would do anything for you. You ask, it, I would do it. Do you love me unconditionally, Peter? It's a restoration moment where Jesus, in his own way, is pointing out the sin and the failure in Peter's life and also saying, I love you. And he says, Hey, uh, Peter, love my sheep that way, love them unconditionally. And Peter later said, Hey, I would die for you, Jesus. And you know that Peter was crucified like his Savior, but not like his Savior. Peter said, I can't be crucified like my Savior. He was crucified upside down. There's not one of us in this room that faces that threat right now. you understand that? How do you get the emotional weight of what it means to be a disciple? It's not about something you wear around your neck, or on your t-shirt. Right? Right? With that picture on his wall, that memory in his mind, I see Peter taking up his pen one last time here in this text, and he writes these following words. He writes into a special church family that is really full of really special people, and here's what he says. So listen to these words from that place. Hopefully I've done the, the work of putting you in that place. Hear this. But you, you are a chosen race. You're not outcasts. You're a royal priesthood. You're not outsiders. You're a people for His, whose? God's own possession. You, listen, you are not cheap imitations in a pawn shop window. You are the exact carbon copy of Jesus. And you are meant to, according to Peter here, according to the holy spirit through peter you're meant to do what proclaim the excellencies of him him who god the father who called you out of what the darkness of satan's sin and death into what when you get called out of something you get called into something if you don't get called into something after you claim to get called out of something you got called into nothing follow me into christ's marvelous light he moves on he says wants which means what at well, at one point but you were not even a people right he points to the very worthless value that they had at one point to remind them hey at one point yeah you you weren't even a people you were nobodies you you, you thought you were somebody back then because of all the crap you were doing you really then you were a nobody you're wandering around, stumbling around in the dark, no one to call you special. But now, now that you've trusted in Jesus, now, now you're God's people. You're God's people. You're special because your Heavenly Father says you're special. Once, you, you'd not even receive mercy, he says, right? You, you had no way of getting yourself out of the darkness you've gotten yourself into. Now, now you receive mercy. God has redeemed you. He's given you what you do not deserve. He's withheld from you what you actually really do deserve. That's the way he wraps up everything he wanted to say today, right? In this portion of the text. It's wild. See, if you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then, then the reality is you are a part of God's family. And as a member of God's family, you've been called out of the darkness to then proclaim the special message of the gospel and none other. The message of the gospel has been engraved upon your very life if you've experienced this thing the Bible calls salvation. It's been engraved on you by this invisible pen called the Holy Spirit, writing it on you and writing it through you for others to see. see. Every hardship you've ever faced, every failure that you've ever walked through, every bit of suffering that you've ever experienced, that, all of that is being used by the power of the Spirit to engrave the message of the Gospel on you so that others can hear and see that God is the God who takes pleasure in calling His family out of darkness and into the light of His mercy. You, you are special, and you're special because your Savior is special, and the message that's been engraved on you, it's called the gospel, and it's special. And one way or the other, all the way throughout our time together this morning as I've communicated, I may not have looked at you and said, you need to confess your sin, repent your sin, walk the Romans road, blah, blah, blah. But what you should have heard in this message all the way through is the message of how you and I are sinful. We're broken. We weren't created to be that way. But we've fallen. And then God sent Jesus, right, to pay the price. And He got on that cross, and He also came up out of that tomb, and He also left us with the promise of heaven. That's the message of the gospel, right? And it bids us to come into trust, and to kneel down, and to lay things aside, and to become exposed and vulnerable. One or the other, that message should have been woven all throughout everything you've heard me say today. It's not a tag-on to the end of the message. It's also not like the first thing you do to become a Christian and then after that you move on to some other milk and meat. You've heard me preach that enough, most of you, so. It is the milk and the meat. The gospel is what you should hear every week in a healthy church. wrap up this way. I have a special ring that I wear on my finger. Uh, It's right here. Um, I wear it on my finger next to my wedding ring finger. This ring uh, holds a lot of meaning for me. It was given to me as a gift by uh, one of my daughters and her husband shortly after they got married and it's special to me because the person that gave it to me is really special to me and it's not just that but there's a message engraved on this ring it says put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil and no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper You see, at one point, this, uh, this rain, um, it, it really, uh, it was just a little blob of steel at one point, right? That's all it was. In fact, I suppose you probably go back if you know minerals and stuff. It, it was probably a piece of dirt at one point. <laughs> um, Pretty useless, right? Didn't matter to anybody. People were probably walking on it, Really? At some point, some ring maker, some designer came over and picked up this little useless blob of steel, right? Shaped it into the special ring that it is today. And then for a certain amount of time, that ring sat in a storefront just waiting for somebody to buy it. Waiting for somebody to come by, snatch it up, call it their own, show it off for the entire world to see. That's you and me. You and I are just like that special ring. And if you trusted in Jesus today, then that's you. If you have recognized that your sin, just like mine, just like Peter's, is what actually separates you from God, if you also recognize that d- d- despite you and I's sin, Peter's sin, all of our sin, that despite that, Jesus still went to the cross with a heart full of joy, And your picture in his pocket. Not just some abstract picture of some people that I might be able to save by my work at the cross. That kind of theology bothers me a whole bunch. I'm sure you can tell. It's like faceless people with no names. Well, when Jesus went to the cross, he had your picture in his pocket. If you're hearing this and you're like, yep. Yep. Yep, I needed to hear this message. This is me. This is who I am. This is where I've been. This is who Jesus is. I trust in him. Then he definitely had your picture in his pocket. If you're here and your heart's hard and you're like, you know, I wish this guy would just get done talking. Your picture might not have been in his pocket, maybe. I don't know. God knows. On the day that you come and trust Jesus, we'll know your picture was in his pocket. I hope that's where you're at. I hope you trust in him. I hope that in these moments you're trusting Him either for the first time or for the gazillionth time. Jesus went to the cross with a heart full of joy, your picture in His pocket. And if you recognize you believe all that, then you and I are like that ring. You and I are special people. We've been purchased by the work of a special person at a cross and an empty tomb engraved with a special message to share with the entire world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we close, I pray that You take our closing moments and turn our hearts to You. Help us to take up space at the foot of a very horrifically bloody cross. Help us to kneel down there to bring our broken, sinful selves to you there. And as we trust in you, God, pray that you would lift up our chins, lift up our eyes, help us to look through the doorway of an empty tomb and be reminded that you have done everything that needs to be done in you. All the work of salvation, redemption has been finished at the cross and that empty tomb. Lift up our faces and help us to see that empty grave and know that Satan, sin and death do not get the final word that shame and guilt have a place to go die where they'll never come alive again help us to turn up our eyes a little bit further and see the heavens and be reminded that we have the promise of heaven the promise of eternity with you where there'll be no more sin no more brokenness, no more tears no more shame, no more guilt Help us to rest there. Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.TheWellHastings.com